Blog Talk Radio. joining us again today. And first of all, thank you, Mozart. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in here and uh, presenting us with such beauty to start the show. Now, today, uh, I want to just tell you all that we will be spending the hour with Marianne Williamson, the author of numerous books and uh, is really known as an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer, um, really a thought leader in so many ways. Uh, Six of her books have been New York Times bestsellers, including, and starting with, A Return to Love, The Age of Miracles, A Course in Weight Loss, The Gift of Change. She's been a regular guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show, Larry King, Good Morning America, and Charlie Rose. And interestingly, a Newsweek poll named her one of the 50 most influential baby boomers. So it's really a pleasure to have Mary Ann joining us today for the hour to discuss her latest book, which is The Law of Divine Compensation on Work, Money, and Miracles. Those of you who know Marianne's work know that she has been an educator around, a facilitator of the teachings of The Course in Miracles, which I personally had a chance to meet up with even before it kind of got the, uh, hit the press and became a published book. And uh, Marianne, are you on the line? Yes, I am. So glad to have you, Marianne. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, your work is continuing this wonderful theme. I introduced you uh, as a thought leader, but I also would say a heart leader because uh, so much of your thought really originates in the heart, and um, one can really feel the love in so much of what you've written and so much of what you say. So uh, thank you for that. I feel it's the missing element. Thank you. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Love and gratitude are the like fundamental pillars of building a conscious and enlightened society. That's right. And uh, you're really touching on both of them very powerfully in this book. Uh, what is this book designed to do that you don't feel your previous ones have? Well, you know, in A Course in Miracles, it says you think you have many different problems, but you really only have one, and that is yeah. your separation from love. So what I do with my books is that I talk about various issues. It could be relationships, it could be health, it could be work, it could be weight loss. Depending on what the issue is, I talk about that issue, but the solution is always the same. And that has to do with realizing that when our hearts are open to love, miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. And when the heart, for whatever reason, is blocked, we are withholding love, then we are deflecting the miracle. And I thought that a book where we talk about that specifically in relation to work and money was something that would be helpful. Because I think particularly with this last recession, I've never seen so much stress and anxiety and tension in the air as during this last one. I mean, we all have financial ups and downs, and the society does, but this has really been a rough time. And yeah. I thought it would be good to 
take the principles of miracle-mindedness and apply them very specifically to work and money and put it in one book. So I did. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. Well, I'm glad you did, and I think it's very resonant with what's going on, the, the overall zeitgeist, if you will, of our society, one in which people are not sure-footed about what the future will be, very different than, you could say, what was going on in this country in the 1950s. Well, it began to falter a little bit, but for interesting reasons in the 1960s, but there was still a strong economic uh, sense of stability, mm-hmm. but not today. And I mm-hmm. think you've really put your finger on the pulse of that, Marianne, here, and um, have spoken to it. Now, I just, you know, in a sense, what you say is, of course, very beautiful, and um, somebody could almost say it's maybe too simple an answer. What, what would you say to that? Well, simple. You know, like if I were more loving than things. What if people say, you know, I am very loving in my life. I'm actually very generous and kind and open-hearted in my life, but still these issues are around me and going on. Well, the kind of love that we're talking about is more than being nice. This isn't about whether or not we are nice. This has to do with looking deep into our hearts at sometimes the hidden beliefs that we have and the attitudes that we have towards people in situations that we're not necessarily even admitting to ourselves are as loveless or as fear-based. You know, also people will say to me, well, what, you're saying a starving child in Africa is starving and has no way to get uh, food because they lack love? Well, no, I'm not saying it's because they lack love. I'm saying it's because we lack love. You know, the idea in in this book is that it is a self-organizing and self-correcting universe. So to say that it is simple, you know, it's so interesting when a sperm uh, gets together with an egg, you know, what happens there? I mean, on one hand, what could be more simple than that? Hello. And look what occurs out of that. Look at the hidden hand of nature, cell division, the extraordinary processes that we see in nature that have absolutely nothing to do with the control mechanisms of the human mind. They have Mm -hmm. to do with what is obviously at work in the universe. And you could say, you know, well, is it easy that the acorn turns into an oak tree? Is it easy, is it simple that a bud turns into a blossom? No, it is extremely complicated, but it is complicated on the invisible level. And what is very easy, what is very simple, I don't even know if so much easy is different uh, about Mm -hmm. miracles, is that, it is a training in a different way to think. I'll give you an example. I, I had lunch today with a gentleman, an old friend of mine, and he was talking about uh, working as an actor in Hollywood. And he has, he has worked, but he is not working as consistently as he might. And yes. I said, it, close your eyes and, and tell me what, what, what is your image, what comes up for you about Hollywood. He said, I feel like it's a, it's a party, and I'm on the outside. I don't get to play in the party. Mm. And I told him that for the next 30 days, for five minutes a day, he is to close his eyes and blast Hollywood with love. Mm-hmm. Blast every writer, blast every director, blast every actor, because... Any situation that we are not going into with our love is a situation where we will feel left out because we are leaving it out of our hearts. Now, somebody might say, oh, it can't be that simple. And what I would say to that person is, why don't you try it? Because we have a power inside us. We have been taught that our power is outside us. Our power is in the money. Our power is in the, is in the technology. Our power is in business. Our power is in government. But none of that is as powerful as the power in our hearts and minds. And when we bless, when we bless the situation with love, when we take a work situation and we say, the only reason I'm doing this is so that this work and this project, this script, this radio show, this book, this whatever, might be a gift of love through which and into which I pour my talents, my abilities, my divinely created abilities. And the Course in Miracles says none of us have any more or less potential than anyone else to be used in the service of the healing of the world. And when we say, I only want this to be a gift of love, the only reason I'm showing up at this business meeting is to give and to receive love. The only reason I did this project is to give and to receive love. The only reason I'm 
I'm, I have my business, my store, is that people might feel loved when they come in. A teacher before he or she goes to school to actually bless and pray for all of the students. Now, you don't say this to people. This is not anything you say, you know. It's something yeah. you're thinking. But when yeah. you do that, you know, you, you shouldn't just believe me. This isn't about belief. This is experience. So once sure. again, anybody who says, you know, how could it be that easy not, or that simple, I would say try yeah. it and see what happens. Well, I was putting on the hat of many listeners. Not right, absolutely. Myself. Devil's advocate. It's so funny, like the devil needs an advocate. <laughs> well, I don't think of them as a devil, but, <laughs> but angels that are getting their wings, let's put it right. that way. You know? so, now, I very much appreciate that piece that you said in the book as well about Africa. It almost sounds like a blame or like it's a karmic condition of the starving child that, just to circle back, you know, that there's something wrong with their capacity for love. Therefore, like it's some kind of linear causal arrangement, cause and effect, that they are therefore not experiencing the basics of life, food and water and shelter that they so need. But you really rather wisely inverted that to say the context is loveless. We are the ones that are starving someone from the love that they need. It's well, but a it's very love and, different perspective. Well, it's love in action. You know, we have 17,000 yeah. children who die on this earth every day of starvation. Yeah. We have one yeah. billion people on the planet who live in what's called deep poverty, the bottom billion yes. they're called. They live on a dollar twenty-five and less a day. Now, the uh, Columbia University economist Jeffrey Sachs has established yes. that for $100 billion, which is one-seventh of what we spend on our military budget every year, for $100 billion spent over 10 years, we could eradicate deep poverty from the face of the earth. If the Western industrialized nations, if the industrialized nations of the world got together and said, that's it, this is going to end within 10 years, we could make that happen. But what has happened, and you were talking before about the difference between the 1950s and now, around the 1970s, particularly in this country, there was such a shift in attitude and shareholder values uh, began to uh, override human values, humanitarian values. And as long, you know, it's almost as though we have turned money into God. And so as long as we bow down to the money rather than bowing down to the righteousness of love in our hearts, then we will have things like starving children on the planet. And no, it's not, it's not that the love was absent in them. It's the, absence, no. the love has been absent in us. It's a collective, absolutely. But that inversion is very beautiful because I think that that can also uh, speak to the whole notion of karma, which has, of course, it's just a, a cosmic law on Mm -hmm. one hand, but humans will take it and give it a slight bias that there's something quote-unquote wrong or lacking in the person. But your perspective that you put out from your understanding of the Course in Miracles, and you articulate beautifully here, Marianne, in your book, the law of divine compensation makes it clear that there in the true world, you could say in the spiritual world, there is no such thing as lack or scarcity. Right. There is abundance and prosperity because spirit itself is perfect. Right. And it's only our perception, if you will, of scarcity that brings on scarcity. So even your your recommendation to your friend at lunch today helps to, you know, just further press out that notion that, yes, Hollywood is all these things, and we tend to agree on those interpretations, but what if we let go of those interpretations? What if we just, as you were saying, blast it with love and let that vibration hit the directors and the actors and the whole Right. And see what happens then. Right. Well, it's, you know, enlightenment is the relinquishment of one way of looking at the world and the acceptance instead of another way of looking at the world. And 
there is a world that we perceive with our physical eyes, and in that world there is scarcity and there is lack. And yes. there are only so many pieces of the pie, and if somebody else has another piece of the pie, uh, then there's less for you and so forth. And if yes. that is the realm that we identify with, this is where the spiritual journey comes in. The Course in Miracles says we are heir to the laws that rule the world we identify with. So if we only identify with the realm of scarcity, then our experience will be one in which we are at the effect of the laws. <clears throat> if, on the other hand, we begin to really put feet uh, to the prayer and really begin to live our lives from a different ground of being where we recognize that we are primarily spiritual beings that the physical body is just a suit of clothes that we're wearing here and lay claim to the realm of the infinite knowing that we only get to keep what we give away and that we don't have to struggle uh, for success because any more than the embryo struggles to become uh, to become the baby or the acorn struggles to become an oak tree. There's a yeah. natural, if you look at a bud become a blossom, if you look at the flower that bends towards the sunlight, we all have a natural creative urge within us. We all want to create. We want to work. That doesn't mean we yeah. want to struggle, but we want to create. And we don't have to compete with each other either because in the natural world, cells do not compete. They collaborate. So if I'm in my natural state, exactly. I'm in a state where I naturally collaborate with you. There's no competition for being mm -hmm. Mitch, and there's no competition for being Marianne. Only That's you right. can be Mitch, and only I can be Marianne. So That's as right. we begin to not only believe that, you know, but enlightenment begins as this abstract concept, but as it makes that journey without distance to the place where that is what we that's the ground we stand on and how we perceive each other then our behavior changes because it is both it's both thought and behavior but yes. you, you know because once you change your thinking you get different internal directions of what to do and we begin to claim a world and a, a, an experience of the world in which we are not at the effect of lack or scarcity but rather we are at the effect of the infinite abundance that is true in the natural world Beautifully put. And you know, uh, my dear friend, cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, mm -hmm. lays so much of what you're kind of suggesting out in physiological lingo, which in the biology of belief, he speaks about the power of belief and how we are literally influencing ourselves. And of course, that means our neurons. So mm -hmm. we're really cutting new neural pathways mm -hmm. through forging mm -hmm. a new thought system. I mean, exactly. if you think about it, you know, mm -hmm. what we mm -hmm. inherited, Marianne, in growing up in our society is mm -hmm. just what we happen to inherit. Like, exactly. we learn to walk from our parents, but exactly. that doesn't mean our parents know how to walk that well. That's you right. Know? That's right. But we end and up so, taking that as true. We, we right. define that as true because it's familiar, mm -hmm. whereas it would be way better for us to hear a different voice and say, hey, what if? And mm -hmm. then enter a space like you're leading us into through this book and through your life work mm -hmm. of establishing uh, and affirming a love-based affirmative uh, belief system through which we will, yes, on a physiological material level, forge new neural pathways, but we will then thereby attract same from the universe into ourselves. Right. To ourselves. Because the the course Does that make has, sense in according with your thinking? Well, of course, there's only one truth spoken in many different ways, and ultimately we realize that there is nothing outside ourselves. So uh, if it's the way we are perceiving, it is the world that we will experience. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You know, again, I mean, to reference your book, you make that point really well, which is um, that when God gave us, free will, it's mm -hmm. to think that it is to perceive anything the way we choose to perceive it. Mm -hmm. And we will be either gratified and uplifted by those thoughts and perceptions or we'll be perhaps bedraggled. We'll see, mm -hmm. you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. So when you look out and you see the pool of misperception, if you will, and you could say uh, – <laughs> errant love, love that's been sort of back-seated, back-burnered in so many people's lives. What, what goes on inside you, and what do you feel like saying to the world? 
Well, I don't try to get a message out. I try to get a message in, you know, to teach is to demonstrate. And so, you know, I don't think that the impulse of the moment is anybody speaking on high and telling other people the way it is. The the teaching that we're doing is demonstrating we're all trying to live in in a bigger place. And so what I'm trying to tell the world is simply what I'm trying to tell myself, and that is that whenever there is lack in my life, my question needs to be who am I not forgiving? And whenever a situation is lacking, what am I not giving? The Course in Miracles says only what you are not giving can be lacking in any situation. Um, I was going through a situation not too long ago, and I was envious of someone, jealous of somebody else's success at something. And Mm -hmm. I saw that it was ego. I saw that, you know, there's enough for everybody, blah, blah, blah. You know, the part Mm -hmm. of your brain that knows this stuff. But it was disconnected from the part of my brain that was determining my emotions and how I was actually experiencing it. You know, it's one thing to know metaphysical principle. It's another to actually find a way to live in that place. But from a spiritual perspective, what you do is you give those thoughts, you, you be willing. You know, the most powerful thing we can say is, I am willing to see this differently. I am willing to see this through the eyes of love instead of the eyes of fear. And as I did that, the, the, um, the response I got back in my heart was to help this person, to actually reach mm. out and see how I could support this person's success. And it was it was it freed me from an, an emotional pain because I could not wow. be showing up for this person and be in pain over their success at the same time. Love is to fear what light is to dark. In the presence of one, the other can't exist. And then I got not just a an intellectual understanding, but a visceral understanding. There's enough room for everybody. This person's success doesn't take away from mine, and my success doesn't take away from anyone else's. I remember once I wrote a book earlier and I saw some really nasty, trashy review of it somewhere. And it said, Marianne, move over and let other people write about these things. And I thought, yeah, right. My writing a book is keeping other people from writing. I mean, it's so crazy. It's like anytime anybody talks about these things, there's a larger field for everybody to talk into. But the ego mind says, oh, if somebody else is doing it, there's less for me. And right. that these are the kinds of ideas that you know, and in the book that I, you actually go through things, and and you and and it's not like we don't know, you know. I know in my own life when I, almost any time I make a mistake, I look back and I go, I knew that, mm-hmm. I knew better than to make that mistake. But it's like what we know is sometimes eclipsed by the ego mind that is so insidious. So yes. that's why you know, yes. when was the last time you blasted with love and light your employer? When was the yes. last time you blasted with love and light your employees? When yes. was the last time you blasted with love and light your customers? When was yes. the last time you blasted with love and light um, everybody that you might in any way do business with? When was the last time you put your debts as well as your assets uh, in the hands of, of the divine? When was yes. the last time you surrendered your career and said, may this be used for your purposes, for the healing of the world? These are things that are pretty simple and like we know them, but it's not enough to just do them, to know them. We have to do them. Oh, my God, yeah. Your points are very well made. It's like what we know in our minds is voluminous, mm-hmm. but what we actually do, mm-hmm. how much we really harness our inner mm-hmm. wisdom mm-hmm. is really rather minimum in comparison to to mm-hmm. what we in some different ways know inside us it's really mm-hmm. true your story about yourself it's almost amusing if you don't mind my saying because you know Marianne Williamson is such an icon to so many people and um you know you've you've really reached such success on so many levels it's um you know, truly admirable, and I, I say that truly from my heart. And it's almost um, funny, if you don't mind my saying, uh, that you would be looking at someone else with some eyes of envy. And, you know, the fact is that we all live in and swim in a human swimming pool. And well, you know, the emotions it, are available for yeah. all of us. Yeah, well, this person is a woman who is younger than me, talking about the yeah. Course in Miracles. So it was tailor-made for my ego to have to burn through that one. You know what I mean? It was just tailor-made <laughs> yeah, for, you know, you, you think you're yeah. doing so well. And then it's like the universe right. says, you think you're doing really good, huh? And you go, yeah. And then the universe says, here, can you take that? Right. So we exactly. all have the places where we think we're pretty healed. 
and then something yeah. comes from out of the blue and we realize, yep, I can still get triggered there. Because a lot of times we think, sure. oh, I'm, I'm above and beyond that particular problem, when really all that means, we find out later, is that that problem hadn't occurred recently. <laughs> yes. Right, right. So then that would mean that you are destined to have it occur again to really get to the point That's where it right. can occur and you can remain detached. That's right. We have this wonderful little mechanism called amnesia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. it all works together. Mm-hmm. We are speaking with Marianne Williamson, the author of many books, and uh, most recently, The Law of Divine Compensation on Work, Money, and Miracles. And you are listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World, and you can reach us at our website and get on the mailing list. Get in the get the newsletter at dot abetterworld.tv, and that, there you can also learn about our weekly TV show as well. So this is this is rich material. I love the whole notion of miracles, and I love the uh, quote, which I think I might um, mess up, and you can help me with a little bit, of St. Augustine, who said something like, um, miracles are not contrary to nature, but they're contrary to what we know of right. nature. Right, that is you what know, said. yeah. Which I always love that. And you know, the, it really shows our human um, frailty in right. comparison to the, the greatness of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Please, you know, and the whole thing about compensation is that whenever there is a lack on the material plane, the universe yeah. knows how to compensate for any of the material lack, just like in a GPS in your car. If you take mm-hmm. a wrong turn, the GPS will automatically recalibrate and provide you with a new route. So the universe, mm-hmm. just like the physical body, it's not only programmed exactly. to work, but it's programmed to heal itself uh, if right. a diseased condition comes in. You know, one of my favorite stories about this is with the painter Matisse, Henri Matisse, who had um, uh, arthritis in his hands so bad mm-hmm. that he couldn't, uh, he couldn't hold a paintbrush anymore. But what mm-hmm. he found was that he could hold and navigate uh, a child's pair of scissors that his grandchildren used. And what emerged mm. from that was what art historians consider one of the finest periods of his art, which is called the Matisse paper cutouts. In other words, oh, his talent had yes. not been but diminished. It's just that his physical capacity had been diminished. So, so many times when people had been bankrupt or lost their jobs or or in other ways uh, suffered through a diminishment, whether it's material uh, abundance or any other kind of abundance. The point of divine compensation is to know the universe is already on it. The universe is already recalibrated to give you that which you need. However, if the heart is closed, the universe can't work through us. We, we, we are not putting ourselves in a, in a position where we can receive what the universe would now give to us because we are not open-hearted. You know, one of the other places where I've certainly seen this in my life, and everybody's mm-hmm. seen this, let's say you went through something uh, that was a problem in your life. And what most of us do, the non-miracle mind, is that you meet the negative circumstance with negative thinking. And one of the ways we stay negative is you don't get off the subject. You don't stop talking about the past. You can't let it go because you don't know that in the moment, in the present moment, the universe is always ready to begin again. So you're sitting next to somebody who you don't realize is looking to hire something that you, a job that you would like to do or is looking yeah. to invest in a project that you would love to initiate. But because in conversation with you, all they hear about is how bad everything is and what, a, you know, what, what terrible yeah. times you've been through then it doesn't even occur to that person. doesn't even occur to that person to join with you in, in behavior and in activity that would actually compensate you for all the mistakes of the past. So learning to discipline our minds to actually put more faith in the power of possibility in any given moment than faith in the power of the disasters that have already occurred, it takes practice. It takes discipline. You know, the word discipline comes from the same root as the word disciple. And, of course, yes. that's what this book is about. Exactly. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Could you speak a little bit about faith? For many people, that word connotes uh, some kind of possibly dog- 
dogmatic, certainly religious, and often Christian sensibility that may or may not be resonant uh, with them. Um, and I think faith also has a meaning that stands apart from the institutional religious context that is of great value. And that's how you're referencing it in your book. Well, faith Could you is speak an act to that. Yeah, faith is an aspect of consciousness. And yes. what we think of as faithless people, in a way you can't be faithless. The problem is most of us have more faith in the reality of the disaster that has occurred in our lives than mm. we have faith in the power of the universe to make everything right. And mm. once you know, you know that once you know that there is no order of difficulty in miracles, that the universe is self-correcting, that the body yes. does know how to heal itself, that nature knows how to heal itself, that the yearning of the universe is to make right that which has been made wrong, then we know that to the extent to which we are conduits for that impulse, that conduit for that impulse, making the open-hearted response the channel to which universal possibility can then emerge, then everything changes and uh, because we have placed our faith in what is possible rather than in the disasters that the wrong-minded thinking has brought about. Yes, yes, yes. I think that that is such a critical point, and it, it speaks on many levels. I mean, on one hand, there's the a level of disaster like a tsunami or global warming, but on the other, it's this moment-to-moment reality of what's going to go wrong next. And it's almost the subconscious languaging that resides in a part of our consciousness that is wholly fear-related, of course. And if we can see it in action, sort of like what you were saying when you heard that envious voice inside you, and then you saw it, and that awareness allowed you to ease out of it, to release it, and come from this other place where you said to yourself, you know, sort of like, who do I really want to be here? Or that wonderful phrase, you know, what would love do in this situation, which I think is such a powerful rudder for us, a navigator of an idea. And you rose then to the occasion of offering help and assistance to this person. I mean, there's a literally 180-degree turn. And I think that we can do that with the disaster thinking that we're all sort of in that default boat of, you know? Well, I think global warming is certainly an example. I mean, we have treated the earth without reverence. We have treated right. the earth without proper respect. We have not loved the earth. We have not been behaving in a way that places love of future generations, love of yes. our children and their need to breathe easily. Um, we yes. have not put that above monetary concerns. If we open our hearts now and say, wait, m the love is more important than the money made by oil companies. Uh, love yeah. is more important than the money to be made by further abuse of the planet and carbon emissions and so forth. We could, we, yeah. It is the 11th hour, but it's not midnight yet. But mm -hmm. we're still not doing what needs to be done because we're still not choosing love over money. You know, yeah. whether it's an individual or a collective, every situation represents the lesson that you obviously haven't learned yet. And, you know, the Course in Miracles says it's not up to you what you learn. It's merely up to you whether you learn through joy or through pain. And mm. so it is absolutely reasonable for us to expect uh, more disasters that are a consequence of situations where we have messed with the moral universe. And when we choose anything over love as the bottom line for our behavior, whether as individuals or as a collective, then we get the consequences that loveless behavior brings forth. Indeed, indeed. This is actually the subject of the book that I'm writing right now on this notion of sacred stewardship, which has to do with what, you know, I refer to as our original sacred mother of the earth herself, of our, of course, material body, and that we have shown her such disrespect and continue to, whereas if we could love her the way we are designed to biologically and, of course, emotionally love our own mother, then if we could really see Mother Earth as that, 
than the Buddhists say. You know, we have been here for so long. We've we've been each other's mother ten thousand times, and you know, with that kind of love and respect, we would have a different world. Absolutely. So I very much appreciate what you're saying, as well as you said something. I. I smiled to myself, Marianne, earlier when you said uh, it's almost as though we've made God uh, made money God and we right. we revere it over and on top of the true, humane, simple values of love and dignity and respect of our own human lives. And I, I laughed because you were such a mirror of me because I'm found quoting, saying that line so often. It's that we've, I, I also then say that I feel that, you know, the banking system and so many people who are the captains of industry have given making money a bad name, whereas money is as glorious an activity, making money, as anything else. It's just a beautiful form of energy. But if you do it unethically, if you do it when you're harming others and the earth herself, ugh, it, 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 it takes the joy and the fun out of it, you know? Well, what I think that it, well, there's much in the book about that because I think just as yeah. some people demonize the poor in our society, other people demonize the rich. And yes. what you're saying is very true. No group, no socioeconomic group has a monopoly on suffering or a monopoly on greed or a monopoly on ethics. So yes. everything in the material world is holy or unholy, depending mm-hmm. on the purposes that we ascribe to it. So if somebody, for instance, has a subconscious judgment or even a conscious judgment of all wealthy people, assuming that they, in some knee-jerk, stereotypical way, that if they have money, they must have gotten it from a rip-off of the 99%. They must have gotten it from unethical behavior. Yeah. Then that person, if wealth is on its way to you, you will subconsciously sabotage it. So until you and your own heart can be willing to approve of and not judge others who have created wealth, you will not be able to attract it to you. Um, So it's very important that our sort of thoughts be purified of the various ways that we demonize uh, anybody who has money. But at the same time, our recognizing um, that in our society as a whole, something terrible has happened. American capitalism Mm -hmm. has deviated from its ethical center, and we have turned, we've, we've become idolaters. That's what idolatry is. We have tended yeah. to see money as the source of our good before we've remembered that love is the source of our good. And if you bow down to idols, those idols will fall. I mean, it's not that money's not a good thing. There's nothing beautiful about bread lines. There's nothing beautiful about what happens in a no. society when money stops circulating. But money needs to be in perspective. And when we have it in perspective, that's when the money can actually flow more easily. Like this book isn't yeah. about how to go make money. This book is about how to make ourselves right with the universe. And one yes. of the ways things fall into harmonious order when we do, one of the ways is the areas of work and money. Yes, yes. No, very much so. You getting, let's be honest, this book is uh, getting to the heart of the matter, no pun intended. And you know, you're going to the root cause of the issues that we see manifest on the material plane in our society. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, I, I don't know how to tell you how much I appreciate your words here. And if the pod was big enough, we would be two, pa- two peas inside it. Right. Because I, I so am aligned with the wisdom and intelligence that you're... Uh, speaking of here and I truly and I tell you I really pray that more people get this very fundamental point that your book is about and more than that your your life work is about and quite honestly mine is too I I feel like a little love bunny on many different levels and um, that between love dignity integrity and humor we could literally change this whole thing around. And um, I, you know, I'm going to segue for a moment into uh, someone that we both appreciate who is representing integrity in the body politic because I feel that, you know, it's both the, um, 
unholy uh, marriage of economics and politics these days that has helped to sink our ship. But, you know, we haven't hit bottom. There is a lot more to go. We can really play this game out. And as we listen to the wise words of the Course in Miracles and other deep spiritual uh, teachings of that sort, we can really turn this thing around. And that's, uh, I was just referring, you know, by implication to Rocky Anderson, who ran, and my, my audience knows him well because I've had him on as a guest on the radio and TV shows about half a dozen times over the past year in different ways to help educate people about um, options, choices, expanding the way we think about what's possible. And uh, I know that you yourself have found, um, you know, a lot of joy in contemplating what he's bringing forward. Maybe you could just speak to that for a moment. Yes. Well, which I'm, I'm a little confused. In what your question is actually? Oh, I just I just was inviting you to uh, speak a little bit about um, what you have perceived in this option for a political choice because what you're, you're talking about Rocky that, specifically. Yeah, about Rocky Anderson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes, I had a lot as of representative respect. of another option in our in our body politic of our way of governing our own society. Well, I think that the founding of the United States was not only an important unfoldment in the political history of the world, but also in the spiritual and philosophical unfoldment of the world. Yeah. Because it posited by, by founding a country on democratic principle, it posited a, a different relationship of the individual to the universe, to the individual to the world at large, than had yeah. uh, been uh, the cornerstone of any founding before. And that is that the divine was represented in every individual, and that every individual had the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the government would be governed itself, because it would be a democratic republic. It would be the intelligence and the basic goodness and conscience of every individual, as expressed through representative government, that would be the governance of uh, the country. Now, that, that is profound. It meant that instead of the power being vested in the hands of a king or queen or aristocracy, the power would be uh, placed in the vested hands of the enough. people. And that was a yes. radical concept 200 years ago, and it's a radical concept today. I think what basically has happened is that we have subconsciously recreated an aristocratic situation. And I think that the American corporate interests, you know, whether it's health insurance companies, pharmaceuticals, um, military contractors, oil companies, or whatever, which are, of course, filled with wonderful people. This is not about people. Sure. This is about institutional realities. Mm-hmm. They have become like a new corp- uh, new aristocracy. A corporatocracy, basic, so to speak. See, yes, right. and that's why it's called a corporatocracy, because like with an aristocracy, through tax policy, through corporate subsidies and other ways, the major resources of the country are siphoned into the hands of a very few. And then the rest of the people just get whatever crumbs happen to be falling off their table. That's not democracy. That's not what America is supposed to be. We've gotten ourselves into this situation, and more importantly, in a way, people have gotten used to it. People have gotten used to a situation in which, after moneyed interests have determined for political candidates, what the political candidates can can or cannot do, because otherwise so much money will be spent on their opponents' campaigns that they will not be able to stay in office or to get into office. And then after the political party system has done all its engineering and strategizing, then the American people are just left with a, with a, a few choices. You know, um, yes. George Washington, when he left office, In his farewell address, he actually warned us against political parties for that reason. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes said we've gone from a a country of the people, by the people, for the people, to a country of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. So I think that this is a crisis for American democracy of, of, of profound import. And from a spiritual perspective, our task is to not be in denial about that, uh, to to be willing to take a stand for the writing of American democracy and the writing of American um, uh, capitalism in a way that does not demonize individuals but simply calls uh, systems uh, to their highest, and that's yeah. why I think you know I, I 
I, I think that it's a real question for many people who are involved in the spiritual world because we say, well, politics is so toxic and so corrupt, we don't want to be any part of that because we're after love and harmony and peace. But you can't, mm-hmm. you can't transform a situation that you refuse to engage. So sure. that's why I did this, these conferences called Sister Giant and why I, like you, am very interested in uh, politics. Yes. I don't think that any genuine uh, spiritual path gives us a pass on addressing yeah. human suffering. And Not it is all. human fact, suffering that, that, yeah, exactly, our spiritual passion should be about addressing human suffering. And I think yeah. that um, yeah. by our not addressing these issues, we are uh, allowing, uh, we are passively conspiring with a situation in which a lot of human suffering is inevitable. So this is a yeah. time of, of that sober people must be very sober. And I don't mean sober as in drugs and alcohol. I mean no, no. deeply emotionally and psychologically sober. This is a time yes. for thinkers to really think. Yes. And I think uh, Rocky Anderson is a thinker, so I, I join with yeah. you. I, I celebrate him as well. Yes. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I that was eloquent, Marianne, and I, I very much appreciate what you're saying. And I I think it's all very true. I mean, I will underscore underscore all that you said. And uh, you know, there has been this old notion of spirituality happening somehow on a mountaintop. And you know, anyone can be spiritual when they're contemplating the heavens, because what? there's no human being that will reflect back their own issues and it's got to be that we bring our awareness and our aliveness as spiritual beings and that love that you keep speaking of here into the places of greatest darkness well i think i think we're here for also when you said there's this old notion actually it's not an old notion it's a very new notion it's a very modern aberration this idea that spirituality should be disengaged from yeah. uh, issues of social justice, economic justice, human rights. Uh, you know what? It's actually more fairness. of an Eastern notion, to be really truthful yeah, about it. it. Yeah, in a way it's Eastern. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a remove from society. It's a monastic idea. But even the monasteries, honestly, in Europe had their own charitable activity in the in the community. So Well that was right. yeah, well that was the Catholic, of course Europe that was the, the Catholic Church, and right? the Jewish as well, which there right. was never a well, the monastic. Jews didn't have monasteries, but yeah, the Jews certainly right. have always stood deeply uh, involved social, social in justice. public affairs. You know, and yeah. But you no, your points are very well made and I really think that there is something called uh, a spiritual politics and bringing the the power of love and spirit into the corporation and it's uh, an institution that just needs to be transformed by the people who are in it and I will say that with the many people that I have interviewed over time, I'm thinking right now actually of Emery Lovins, a great environmentalist, probably the greatest of the United States, uh, who worked in the Clinton administration. His uh, ex-wife, Hunter Lovins, really interesting book she wrote on climate capitalism. And in it, she was speaking about, and in the interview, I should say, of leading corporations who know at least a good amount of what it is we're talking about here. And they really are changing. It's not visible in the media. It's not visible in the press. But actually the human beings in positions of authority and power are transforming. And they're well, thereby transforming the corporations. Well, that is happening as well as other things happening. You know, you have people like John Mackey, yeah. his book, uh, Conscious Capitalism. But I, I personally don't yes. think we can just wait for for the spiritual awakening of, of corporate chieftains. I think there should be uh, legislation uh, that uh, uh, establishes public funding of all federal political campaigns. And I think yes. that there should be a Absolutely. constitutional amendment that overrides Citizens United uh, Supreme Court decision by establishing <laughs> yeah. that there will not be undue um, influence of moneyed interest, corporate or, or private, on our political campaigns. Yeah. So I agree with you that there is a spiritual awakening occurring in corporations because it's occurring in people. But I do yes. not believe that we should like wait for that to happen um, because no, 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 no. right now we we do need to protect democracy itself. Exactly. You're right. I'm not advocating waiting at all. 
I think we need to have a full court press on every domain possible to hasten the awakening. And, you know, I don't, I even stay out of the mystical realm in some ways. I just say, let's humanize the situation. Let's just be basic courtesy, respect, manners toward each other and toward Earth. Ecologize, humanize. You know, it's the old Christian idea of treating others as you yourself want to be treated. How difficult is that? Well, sometimes it's very difficult. Well, it is difficult because we're wounded people and we had childhoods and we have triggers and there are times in life where we don't see how we can act with love and still get our needs met. And so we move into a modality where on one level or another we we exhibit a a kind of brute force because we think it's the only problem-solving option that we have. So transforming an ethos of attack and defense into love and forgiveness – What's difficult about it is changing our, is is dealing with our resistance to doing it, and our resistance comes in the form of the ego mind, which says if you do that you will lose, if you do that you will be taken advantage of, if you do that they will hurt you, if you do that they will take from you, um, and so it's quite a transformation both in terms of our individual thinking and in terms of our institutional identities to go in a different direction. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Right. I I agree. I want to circle back to uh, something you wrote in the book that uh, I like the way uh, the structure of the book, which has these large, uh, bolded phrases that really sort of delineate, you could say, fundamental principles of the law, the divine law of compensation. And one of them is we may have made mistakes in our past, but we're not bound by those mistakes in the present. As long as we're willing to think now as we did not think then, act now as we did not act then, clean up in the present what needs to be cleaned up from the past, and not be now who we were then. That opens up the space. That's what I hear you saying over and over again in this conversation. Right. And we were talking earlier about how you're talking to someone who might want to hire someone with your skill set, might be interested in investing in a, in a company like you'd like to propose. But yeah. you are so stuck living in the past and going on yeah. endlessly about it ad infinitum that that possibility yeah. doesn't emerge for you because that person isn't picking up from you that you're living exactly. in the present. And the miracle can only happen in the present. And exactly. I think that in terms of our national and global identity, like I said, it's the 11th hour, but it's not midnight yet. And there is That's an urgency. Right. I do believe that these are urgent times. But I think sometimes yeah. people, we've been moving in a certain direction for so long, I think sometimes people forget that we do have the power to steer the ship of our civilization in a different direction if enough of us stand up and express what it is that we think needs to happen and work with others who are expressing the same kind of uh, message, and um, we can create a force field of real change. Yeah. You know, you, I I mean, it should be stated that you wrote a book called Healing the Soul of America, which in which you addressed a number of these points that we're talking about here. And out of that, wasn't it from that that you developed the parlors across the country where people gathered and spoke? Yes, the peace circle. Could you talk about that a little bit? Right, we did, you know, the idea of people, when we think in terms of terrorists, if you think of a terrorist, that's scary. But if you think of a terrorism cell, it's absolutely terrifying. (laughs) And we all know that, that two or more gathered, whether for purposes of fear or purposes of love, that the gathering and the sharing of the thought is a force multiplier. Ideas mm-hmm. are stronger when they're shared, whether they are wrong-minded ideas or right-minded ideas. So yes. people sitting in circle and discussing the issues of peace and praying together and meditating together and talking about higher principles, it, it clearly has created a kind of new field, morphic field, resonant field, and out yeah. of that is emerging new possibilities as we speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you... You started that process some years back. How would you say? Has it been uh, continuing? Have people reported back to you that 
they've gotten a lot of benefit from Well, all from I have to do is look at the culture in which we live. I mean, when I started talking, uh, when my yeah. first book came out in 1992, when I started yeah. lecturing about love and forgiveness in 1983, there was no career niche. Uh, of such a thing as that. Today, this is a mainstream conversation. So nobody can doubt that that the conversation in the country has changed. You know, there has been a quantitative shift. And I think, you know, know, as as much of an effort as there is on the part of the status quo to marginalize and to trivialize and to call those of us who speak about love and compassion some kind of lunatic fringe, this (laughs) conversation is the new mainstream. And those who have no place for love and ethics and forgiveness in, the, in their conversation, they're beginning to look like the lunatic friends, you know. So yes. Um, yes. I, I think the culture is clearly shifting, and um, I think now we are going to move from speaking about the change in consciousness just on an individual level to a group level, a national level, a global level, and that's Indeed. when we are really going to see the change we all pray for. Indeed. Well put, well put, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, and even the science is backing, like what we have is the HeartMath Institute, is backing the importance and value of love even for our own health and emotional well-being, which, you know, is very obvious to us, but now we actually have, you know, so for those who like it, data that shows what happens when you smile, when you laugh. When you smile inwardly, you know, there's a different kind of immune functionality, a different cellular activity that occurs with the presence of love. So um, I just want to encourage you, Marianne, to carry on with the good work that you're doing. And you really have opened up space. Yeah. Thank you very much, and I say the same thing to you, and I'm so grateful to you for having me on your program and giving me this opportunity to talk to you. Absolutely. I'm so glad you did, and I'd like to carry on the conversation in future as well. I look forward to Uh, it. Yeah, in fact, we were supposed to do a TV show in New York when you were here relatively recently, but some hiccup came up in the planning at the end, at the last minute. But we'll, uh, I'll go back to uh, Jill Mangino and others and see if we can re redo that when you're Sounds back in great. town. I'd love to Sounds have you on. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much. Do you so have a much. website? Sure, you're most welcome. Yes, Marianne. What is your website? Marianne dot com. And the book, The Law of Divine Compensation on Work, Money, and Miracles, of course, can be found in all the usual places, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Indie.com, and bookstores. Wonderful. Exactly. In fact, we even have it on our own website for you. You'll, this interview will be part of the permanent archive at abetterworld.tv, so you know. Thank you so much. Okay, absolutely. Be well. <laughs> much love. Much love, and we'll talk another time. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Sure. That was Marianne Williamson speaking with me for this show on the subject of her latest book, The Law of Divine Compensation on Work, Money, and Miracles. Her website is www.marianne.com. Maybe we don't say triple W anymore. Is that it? I have to ask some younger people and find out the details of that. Anyway, I'm so glad you joined us. I love your participation, your silent, intelligent attention to our shows, one after the other. We are all uh, archived at www. There I go again. A better world. TV. If you are not yet part of uh, the um, community and receiving our weekly free newsletter, please come on and join at that website, betterworld.tv. And we're going to make accessing the newsletter um, a little easier than it is currently. We'll do that really soon. So, again, this is Mitchell J. Rabin. Know that we also have a weekly television show every Tuesday night right now at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you haven't seen that, my word, you'll want to, because I had presidential candidate Rocky Anderson on last night, former mayor of Salt Lake City. It was dynamic. And uh, we were just referencing him in these last several minutes here on this show. And uh, he is becoming a hero of many people who really care about the rule and law and reestablishing integrity in the body politic in the United States. And 
resuming the energy and the values of our founding fathers, as Maryam was referencing in her uh, speaking with us. So again, thank you very much for all, and it's always lovely to have you. I love when you give us some feedback here at A Better World through mjr at abetterworld.net or abetterworldinfo at yahoo.com. That's abetterworldinfo at yahoo.com. And in the subject line, if you would just write feedback, that would be so appreciated. And we love hearing what you have to say. Thanks again. And we will leave you now for the moment with nothing other than Wolfgang Amadeus. 